You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Mike. He's got a fucked up story about growing up black and queer in Texas. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Scott. Oh, hey, producer Dan. What's going on, man? Man, I've had a pretty good weekend. How about you? Yeah, uh, I've had a weekend, that's for sure. Uh, Didn't do a whole hell of a lot with it. Did some coaching yesterday for some eight-year-olds on a baseball team, though, uh, which which is pretty cool and pretty fulfilling. And I don't know if I've said this on the show before, but when we've talked about my episode and my journey with therapy and all of the things that I've wanted to do with life, uh, coaching some little kids baseball was on that list. And, you know, that was one of my first sessions in therapy saying that it's something I've always wanted to do and haven't done, but I'm doing it. We got hammered yesterday, but that's okay. We're, wait, 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 wait. You got hammered yesterday while you were wait, coaching eight-year-olds? We, we got beat badly. I was not drinking alcohol <laughs> while I was coaching. We got beat badly. But, Dan, uh, we're, we're playing That makes our- so much more sense. Yes, yes. yes. No, that, that's for the uh, 16 inch softball league when, when yeah. you get hammered while you're playing. And, and I think that's mainly adults playing that sport. My, my hands aren't even big enough to, to throw those balls. You know what? We're, we're getting way off track already. It's not the first time we've gotten way off track. <laughs> but I'll tell you, the most exciting thing about this weekend has been waiting to record. Uh, we've had some wonderful, wonderful guests lately. I think the last two episodes yeah, we have. have been some of our best. And I've been looking forward to this one. For a while, we've got Mike Brown with us. Mike is a phenomenal creator. I I, I really want people to follow Mike. Uh, I, I usually don't go this deep into talking about someone else before we start, but I, I've been watching him on Instagram and Facebook and seeing the really cool things he's up to. Uh, he gets recognized as being uh, a phenomenal creator online, does it full time. I'm wearing my, in honor I'm, I'm wearing my quit your job shirt because I, I know that this is a, a path that Mike has pursued. But Mike, welcome to the show. How are you today? Wow. Thank you guys so much for having me. I appreciate that intro. I'm feeling really good today. Nice. Like I said, I'm out here in New Jersey. I am a nomad right now. So uh, yeah, I'm just moving around everywhere. I might end up in Chicago. You never know. <laughs> Man, I, I hope you do. And when you do, we're going to have you back on for sure. I would love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> with, without a doubt. And uh, first, you know, we appreciate you coming on here. You're you're out there grinding and making great things happen. Something that all of us podcasters and creative types just just wish we could do. So I, I'm sure there's a hell of a lot of challenges you still face, but uh, it, it's it's kind of the standard that 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 we're all looking to get to. But Mike, in in a sentence or two, um, can you tell us just a, a, a little bit? Again, a sentence or two, just to kind of to to to. I was going to say, the whistles. <laughs> to 
<laughs> okay. Hey, before I really, you know, I'm, I'm already stumbling over my words. So let me point out that my mic is having audio issues and Mike's got a chirp in the background uh, in, in the place he's staying at. So we're going to have fun today. The, the quality might not be perfect, but but it's going to be a fun episode. The content will be. The content will be. Yes. Perfect's a strong word. So, so Mike, tell us in a, in a sentence or two. Um, just to get us going, and then I'm going to back up and start asking you some questions very conversationally. Uh, you know, what was it like growing up uh, black and queer in Texas? Oh, man, growing up in Texas, I was more tapped into my black experience than my queer experience. I will say the majority of my journey, I was in denial of even being queer just because of a me being quote unquote masculine and mm -hmm. playing sports and how I carry myself. And I had only seen one type of black queer man growing up in the South. And uh, I didn't identify with that. So I was honestly in denial of even being queer. Okay. And that sounds, uh, I, I, I was gonna say that sounds, I, I don't even know what it sounds like because it's not an experience I, I can relate to. Sounds and lovely. Yeah, that, that that's a good word. So let's go back to that time then. Um, were, were you were you born in Texas? I was. I was born in Houston. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And was growing up was your? Uh, I I don't I I don't live in Texas. I I I watch a lot of news and read a lot of things about Texas these days. And I'll I'll start by saying it's not a place I particularly want to be today. <laughs> but it, but I also hear things, you know, it's from the perspective of conservatism and racism. Uh, what is Houston like? Were, were you able to have like a black community there? You know what? I did. Mm -hmm. And I will say that my family moved around a couple of times. So my my elementary school was like predominantly black. Okay. My middle school was predominantly white. And uh, I went to a pretty diverse high school, but I did experience quite a bit of racism coming up, especially in middle school, just because, you know, we we were the minority in school. And I was blessed to have parents that would show up for me when I needed them to show up. You know, my parents were always there to have my back when I wasn't being treated fairly. And I've seen so many people that I went to school with whose parents didn't support them in the way that they probably could have. You know, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to shame anybody's parents and say that they didn't support them. But my parents showed up for me every time. And I think this is, this is the result of that. Like I look at people that I went to school with during those times that got in trouble and it just sent them down a path of staying in that space. So, sure. you know, for me to have, people, meaning my parents, to back me up every time and always to tell me just walk out with my head up. I think that's why I feel so confident today. Okay, so when you got to middle school and it was predominantly white, uh, was there some culture shock? What was that like? It, so I will say it wasn't because I still, even though I was going to a predominantly black school, I was in the neighborhood with a lot of white kids so it was like there was still that that balance for me of like it wasn't like it was new to me to be around white people like i mm -hmm. i was in the space already and um 
I think the biggest challenge for me was really just having adults try to tear me down, like going from a school where like everybody's pouring into you and lifting you up and coming to this school where because you're good at things, people think that you're arrogant and uh, trying to make you feel less than that was challenging for me. And like sometimes because, you know, I was in I was that kid that was in the advanced classes and stuff like that. And, And a lot of times I was the only black kid in them. I mean, there were there would be black girls, but as far as like boys, there there weren't any, and I was the only one. So I, it did feel isolated at times, and a lot of times I would only be able to see friends like through playing sports, you know. Sure. Wow. You said adults tearing you down. Tell can can you elaborate a little bit on that? Man. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm I'm a shout out two coaches I, I hope they're still living but coach brister and uh coach yokum these guys obviously they and, and and i can say this as an adult because i've been a teacher um actually that was the last job that i had quit was education and just acknowledging how much influence you have on children that job shouldn't be for everybody mm-hmm. and these guys used to really try to make me feel like I wasn't good enough because my parents taught me how to be confident. And, you know, I would outwardly express that confidence. Uh, I'm I'm really a quiet, well, I'll say in the past, I was a quiet, shy person. But yeah. when there were things that I was good at, like if I was playing sports or even in being, being in class, like I was in the band, I played sports, but I was in the band, I was doing spelling bees, all kind of shit. So I'm, I'm sorry, can you curse here? Heck yeah. Uh, fuck yes. <laughs> I mean, we call them fucked up stories. So. That's true, yeah. That's true. <laughs> we actually very much prefer if you cuss. Okay, yeah. So I just would I just would have teachers and coaches that I felt like would bully me and my parents would show up and they would talk to these people and I would see the fear that even as a kid, I guess I was just hyper conscious of the world around me especially feeling feeling my feelings of sexuality meaning like attraction not sexual but attraction to the same gender I think it made me just hyper aware of the world around me and seeing my parents put fear into adults that made me feel less than it kind of used to make me rebel against those adults and like almost like fuck with them more. Now I know that my parents have my back. I'm going to fuck with you a little bit. And I was that kid. And, and as I matured, I've been able to look back and say, wow, these people weren't supposed to be in these positions <laughs> to even have access to me because they, they didn't care. Do you think, Looking back, or even at the time, well, actually, I'm more interested in the time. When you've got adults who are not giving you the support that you need and actually actively doing the opposite, it sounds like, what are you thinking? Are you wondering why do you think this is a a racist thing? Is this just a a bitter human being thing? What's going on? I was very conscious of racism growing up because... uh, Shit, in middle school, I saw damn near all my friends get kicked out of school 
just from this one kid calling them the N-word and they fight him and they would get kicked out of school because they assaulted him and he would stay in school because he was exercising his freedom of speech. And uh, to see that, I think that was why my parents pulled me out of that school because as it's happening to people around me, at what point is it going to be me? You know, so my parents took me out of that situation. But yeah, I think, I think I did feel it. I did feel it because there were, there were experiences where like, you know, I was in the band and I remember some kids going through a purse, man, that just all of this coming up and talking about it right now. <laughs> I haven't thought of these experiences in so long, but I was in the band. This girl left her purse in our section um, because I was, I was in the, the drum section and these kids went through her purse and they thought it was funny. And I've never been a person to steal, still to this day. I, I my family calls me Honest John because I, <laughs> I don't have, I, I don't lie. And and when they went through the purse, she found her purse and she reported that her CD player got stolen, money got stolen, and all the guys that went through the purse because I was the only black kid in the section they all said that I stole it. And um, they called me to the office. And the first thing they told me was, we know you have the CD player. Where is it? And I'm confused. Like, what are you talking about? And um, they tried to kick me out of school. And my mom showed up. And she told them that I didn't have the CD player. And if I didn't have the CD player and I was getting kicked out of school, everybody should be getting kicked out of school. So they ended up suspending all of us uh, and not just me. And uh, yeah, I think that was like the last straw, but I definitely did not take that CD player. So whoever's, if you end up listening <laughs> to this, you took that CD player, give it back. <laughs> uh, uh, what kind of CD player are we talking? we talking Discman or are we talking? It, it was a Discman. It was definitely a Discman. It, and it might've had like an anti-shock on it or something. Like <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was still going to skip anyway, though. Those things, man, it, th- those were a step backwards from the Walkman. I, I, I loved going from t- cassettes a, D, a CD, but but those disc man, they they weren't worth it in my opinion. So. They were terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but you said a moment ago, and I want to know if, if 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 this was like literally stated. You said that the kids throwing slurs at your friends, it was freedom of speech. Was was that literally the school's position? Oh yeah, no. You like I told you, my mom used to come to this school to defend me. But then it got to a place where she would show up for kids whose parents weren't showing up for them. Oh, like wow. my mom. Yeah, she she really one thing I can say about my parents is that even though we were living in a community where, you know, we may have been the minority, my parents have always and because of where they come from, they've always cared about just the betterment of black people. And my mom was that person, like, if, if your parents aren't going to show up, I'm going to show up for you, speak for you. Because, like, this school would do things to try to intimidate us. I remember I, I did get in a fight once, and um, they had a cop, like, come and talk to me. And uh, it wasn't that serious because it was me and another person that got in a fight. But they had the cop to come talk to me. So when my dad found out, my dad left work, showed up showed up like you you're not going to intimidate my son i'm gonna be here while you talk to him so whatever you got to share with him you can share with me right here right wow i'm 
I'm impressed. I'm 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 grateful on your behalf that that you had parents like that growing up. It 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 sounds like you're a lucky man, and I appreciate I, that. It, no, and I I'll, agree. Uh, it both okay. sound like badasses. Yeah, <laughs> they they are going to love hearing this podcast. Episode. <laughs> <laughs> both of them still around? Sounds like yes. Nice. Yes. Okay. Still around. Good to still hear. together. I I just was out there two weeks ago, and uh, it was more than enough time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, I got into one fight in my grade school years, and, and I don't really break it up into middle school, elementary. I, we had K through eight in a single building, and okay. it was like 20 people was like the top, the biggest classes. Like It was a small school, maybe 25 people. And I beat up the principal's son once, and I did not get in trouble for it. I, it the principal knew his, we, we lived on the same block. Tom was throwing a basketball or stealing the basketball. We were playing. We had a game going. He wasn't part of it. He stole it, just ran across the court and stole it. Uh, next thing I remember, we're on the ground and I'm being pulled off of him. And his dad knew he was a shit. We lived on the same block. His, block, his dad knew that I was not a shit. So I'm pretty sure what happened is he was like, nah, Scott's Scott did not start anything here. <laughs> so I, I didn't get a detention. I didn't get suspended. I didn't get anything. So that's my one story of being in a fight when I was a kid. And my parents, I don't know if my parents know this story. So that they might be learning about my fourth grade fight with, with the principal's son. Terrible, Rita. I hope you enjoyed that story. Good to hear from you. I, I feel like she might know. I mean, I lived in too small of a town for word not to get out when things happen. But I, I never got a talking to or anything. And she knew that he was a shit as well. So I think she would have supported me beating, <laughs> beating him up in, in a situation like that. All right. So you've got great supportive parents. You're going through you know, school, life, growing up, there's a lot of challenges that you've, you've had. So can you tell me a little bit about when were it, was there a point when you started thinking or realizing that you were attracted to the same sex? I would say I felt it probably as early as elementary school. Okay. I think probably as early as third grade. And um, I will say I probably didn't act on it until maybe 17 when I was in a place of being able to make those type of decisions for myself. Uh, I always was so invested in like playing basketball, uh, even like, you know, when I got to high school, being in the band, computer science club, math club, like just all these things that had so much of my time uh, occupied that, you know, while my friends were dating and exploring, I was just invested in the things I was invested in. So I really didn't give it a lot of thought, but those feelings I think were, were coming up for me. And even, you know, as we were talking about fighting, I used to be a person that would fight a lot or just be angry. And I think it was so much of my suppressed feelings of myself, but I do clearly remember like, you know, looking at guys, being attracted to guys and hoping that I could pray away these feelings, you know? Okay. Yeah. And I was just going to ask that. So are you, what, what, what were your feelings? Was it confusion? Was it shame? Was it just, I don't want to be different? 
it definitely was I don't want to be different. It was a lot of feeling of fear of how more so how other people respond because like I said, I I had only seen queer people on TV and uh the few that I did see in my life were so flamboyant that mm-hmm. it just was something I didn't connect to and it's like I connected gayness, queerness to mannerism and masculinity and femininity as opposed to like your physical attraction making you queer but um yeah I think it was a lot of just fear of what other people would say I thought at one point like everybody in my life would abandon me and I would be by myself I would go to hell so it was a lot of shame I guess tied to it as well and did you grow up religious it sounds like I did. I, I grew up in a Christian household. Um, my mom was Catholic. My dad was Baptist. And they we went to a Methodist church. And yeah, it's it's just it's so funny how many people are <laughs> queer in church. I feel like church probably has the most queer people <laughs> because but people have to hide themselves. Or they feel they have to. And I will tell you, for me, my spiritual journey probably became the clearest for me in being open about my sexuality because before there were these feelings of like, oh, you you know, if you're gay, you're going to hell or you're this, you're that. And I used to ask like, hey, if if I'm if I'm going to hell or if I'm not supposed to be this, don't let me wake up in the morning. I used to say shit like that to myself, like, don't let me wake up in the morning if I'm not supposed to be living my life this way, or I would pray like, please let this be the last year that I feel like this, like just crazy shit. Right. And when, like I said, when I opened up about my sexuality, it's almost like my world opened up and it's like, well, damn, like it can't be that bad the way I'm I'm thriving in life. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you know, it, it really made me shift my perspective and like i said i don't really feel like a religious person but i do feel like a spiritual person i do believe in something outside of myself and higher than myself and um yeah i I feel like i've been blessed you know my whole journey so i guess now's a good time to ask how do you get to the point where you could open up about your sexuality where you could be honest with yourself and then be honest with everybody around you when's when's that happen that was 2012. And I would say leading up to that. So I moved to Los Angeles in 2010 because I went to college in New Orleans to kind of give you some backstory. Yeah. Graduated high school, 2004, went to college, 2004 to 2009. I did an extra year because uh, I was just having too much fun. In New Orleans? <laughs> yeah, in New Orleans. I went, I went to a, a historically black college, uh, okay, great. University of Louisiana. Yeah. Okay. And I I was exploring at that time, but not a whole lot just because I was in school. So again, something else to occupy my time. But when I got to LA, I I feel like if there's any place in the South where like you could be comfortable exploring your sexuality, like New Orleans (laughs) is it. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fact. That's a fact. And, um, but I still wasn't comfortable enough to share with other people my experience. And I think what made me comfortable, because I still was in that phase of like, oh, I'm gonna grow out of this. I was like 2021. 20, but when I got to LA, I started meeting these masculine men who identified as gay. And it's like, 
these men are so masculine. Like in, in public, you would never think that this person was a gay man. And when it hit me like, oh, if this guy's gay, then I'm gay. And I went into a deep depression. Like I was really depressed. I kind of isolated wow. myself from my friends. Yeah, because I, I had to accept this truth of something that I saw so negative to now place that on myself. It was a lot. And um, I think I just got to a place where I couldn't take it anymore. And I I came out to my sister first and she was very open about it. Like she was very uh, accepting. And then I came out to one of was my best surprised? friends. She was. Literally, literally everybody in my <laughs> life has been surprised. Even to this day, yeah. people still, I, I have queer people that ask me, are you sure you're gay? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 after you know, all the I, work of coming out, So so once still. and for all, Mike Brown is sure that he's gay. Okay. Yes. It, for the yes. record, it's been stated here. Okay. Nobody has to ask ever again. This is an exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it once once the people around me were so accepting it kind of sent me on like this almost like a coming out tour <laughs> and uh i think i've i've shifted my mindset around it and it's really about inviting people in because uh this isn't this journey like isn't new to me so i really want to invite people in to my journey and um it feels i'm just trying to shift my language around it because like i said so long in my life i saw being gay as negative doing this is negative. It's like, okay, let's, let's try some different words. Like queer feels good to me. I'll okay. use queer. And inviting people into my journey feels good. Cause coming out feels like such like a dramatic, like, you know, it, 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 it just feels like too much. And it's like, I'm, I'm welcoming people into what I'm doing. Over <laughs> I here. love like, that. Come I like that me. a lot. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate now, that. Let me back up one sec. Uh, sorry, Scott. I'm not trying to hijack all your questions. <laughs> But how did, I mean, you came out to your sister, then how'd your parents do? Your, mom, your, your Catholic mom, your Baptist dad. Yeah, my mom blamed herself. How didn't she I mean, I blame your mom, too. That? <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's hilarious. And my, my dad was confused because he said he kind of thought it just because I wasn't really around girls and stuff, but he was so confused because he was like, you know, I've always seen you as such a tough person and you know, you're, you're so this, you're so that. And I'm like, I could still be those things yeah. and still be gay. But I think for me, I wanted to give my family, my friends, everybody the space to navigate it on their own because I was doing it on my own. So it was like, I can't expect you to be accepting the moment I tell you because I wasn't accepting for <laughs> however long I wasn't accepting of myself. So, you know, I had to really do the self-work to yeah. get to a place of allowing other people to do their own work around it. And yeah, my dad had a hard time, but he's gotten, he's come so far. Like my dad tries his best to use people's pronouns. He, awesome. <laughs> he does, he really does work and he will correct himself immediately if he feels as though He's not saying something that is correct. And and I appreciate that about him. Oh, yeah. Like I tell him all the time, I appreciate his growth because in his time, it wasn't cool to like 
associate with gay people. It wasn't cool to, you know, have any type of connection to a queer person. So to see him be so open, like, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, cool. you're you're not doing anything to change my opinion of your parents. They they sound like <laughs> they've just been wonderful. And uh, again, lucky to have them. And, but, you know, very gracious of you to give them the space that they needed to, to sure. learn the things they needed to do, right? Yeah, and that point that you just made that it, you weren't even accepting. But, I mean, that means a lot to me in, in changing my perspective. And, you know, I live in a world where I am, you know, pretty far left and consider myself accepting and all of that. You know, it's kind of black and white, you know, people are people, decent fucking humans are decent fucking humans. And we all deserve our, you know, to be who we are. But hearing a queer man saying that you give others grace because you didn't even accept it just makes me realize the complexities that, you know, I don't have to think about and I have the privilege to not think about it. To me, it was more black and white. And I, and I think it shows up differently in all of us. You know, like I see people be so passionate about things that, you know, a year or two ago, they may have been on the other side of saying some yeah. ignorant shit. So, you know, in me knowing that, like, I'm not really connected to the group thing of things like I'm really connected to who are you who is who is Scott as a person who is Dan as a person mm -hmm. because I don't I don't want to judge you on a majority of anything just like I don't want to be judged on a majority of anything like really right. connect to me and like I said I have I have to give people grace because I want grace like we talk about treat others the way you want to be treated like yeah. I'm really conscious of how I want to be treated in the world. So I'm really trying to give that to the best of my ability. I'm not always successful, sure, but uh, I try my best. And I'm not either. I mean, nobody is. And it sounds like you're a thoughtful human being and I appreciate the hell out of that. And I have a couple of questions. One about, you know, you, you've talked about your identity and being masculine and not having you know, a knowledge or having that modeled for you, the, the masculine gay man until later in your life, do you feel like it made it easier or harder or just different that you didn't have kind of the stereotypical queer, you know, what, what people think about when they think of a queer man? Honestly, I think it's just a different journey. Mm -hmm. I think the stereotype um of what it means to be like a queer masculine or whatever whatever those words are but the the queer identity is so monolithic but when you talk to people everybody's journey looks so different i think uh that is my purpose in in this journey is like expressing a a, a different route like just to show people like hey this is not the only way to identify as queer there there this is not the only way to identify as black like the the spectrum is so wide like insert yourself into it and that's really what i'm trying to do because uh through just sharing my journey there are so many men that reach out to me and let me know like hey this is where i'm at in my journey this is what i'm going through i appreciate you sharing your journey because there are more people out there like me you know there yeah. there are and they need to see themselves in the world. Well, it's a, it's an incredible thing 
to put our stories out into the world. And my journey is from an abusive marriage and getting out of that and talking about it, first of all, was cathartic. But then when people started saying, hey, I actually went through something that wasn't that different. It's like, holy shit, I'm not alone. And they're not alone. We even had an early episode in the first five um, episodes with a friend of mine who I did not know her story and the similarities. And and actually hers involved like stalking and, and like running and hiding from this human being. And I knew her. She hadn't shared that. Wow. But to hear me share made her... And it's just such a fucking fulfilling thing. And I'm not trying to take the credit, be like, hey, I'm telling my story. No, people are, it's just that when, when humans show vulnerability and it, it just makes other people show that vulnerability. And it's, it's kind of one of the most amazing things. Now, I said I had two questions. And this, the second question was about, you know, playing sports and doing well in school. Did you kind of put your head down and really, focus on these other areas is a way to kind of avoid who you are. I mean, it sounds like that was still part of who you were, but did you put extra effort into those things to avoid parts of yourself? I don't think so. I think, uh, I think I've just always been passionate about the things I've been passionate about. So like if I'm playing basketball, like I remember as a kid reading like basketball for dummies books and like really like investing all my energy into being the best basketball player that I could be, even with like the other things I was doing. I've, I've always wanted to be, and I, and I had to shift my mindset around that. I always wanted to be the best, but uh, I think in this phase of my life, I just want to be my best version. So it's like that, that's still there, that, that competitiveness with myself. Like I'm not competing with anybody else. I'm really competing with myself to just keep pushing myself to be my best. And I think, unconsciously as a as a kid I had that within me like I really like my parents I used to see them push themselves like my my parents both were just they hustle they hustle in life and they instilled that in me so like in anything I was doing whether it was music math whatever it was like I really was invested in being my best at it Wow. And it, it shows today. I, I mean, just looking at all of the things that you've shared, like uh, on, on Facebook, on Instagram, I appreciate the, that. the articles you, the, I've seen articles posts written about you online. Nobody's doing that about, about Dan <laughs> and me. Uh, I say, yeah, that's awfully optimistic. And, and I see that you've been invited to attend uh, different events and just the recognition you have. I, I mean, I'm, I admire the work that you do and it's, it's, it, it shows that you've got this like wonderful work ethic and I've, I've listened to, to your, your podcast and I apologize. I don't think I mentioned the name of it at the start, the art of letting go, which first of all, that. when I saw the name, I'm like, man, this sounds awesome. And can you tell us a, a little bit about your journey with your podcast? Yes. So uh, I started a podcast because therapy was too expensive for me at the time. Uh, I was going to therapy and I, again, I go through cycles of quitting jobs. I quit my job at Starbucks, lost my insurance. So I had to come out of pocket for therapy. It was mm -hmm. too expensive. 
And uh, it gave me a space to just work out things that I was going through in life. I, I wasn't completely open about my sexuality publicly. Like I was with friends and family, but this was my opportunity to like publicly share that. And I was just coming out of my first relationship. So I was just just navigating a lot of my 30s. I just entered my 30s. So it was a lot of transitioning happening in my life. And um, yeah, it was my space to express. And now it's kind of turned into like my my audio journey. So I've been doing it for about five or six years. And uh, yeah, there's so much of my life transition and seasons within it. And also sharing other people's journeys. Like once I started having guests on and stuff, like it became like a show of uh, just inspiration. Yeah, why a podcast? I, audio has been my my creative medium since since third grade. Like I think third grade was that that place. Like I said, where I realized I was attracted to guys, but also I was creating songs, like making up songs. I clearly remember making up songs. I clearly remember my parents buying me a handheld recorder. It was like one of those uh, Home Alone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember those. Tell my age. I'm, I'm giving my age. Oh yeah, but, we're there uh, with you. Right. <laughs> but I, I would use it and record myself. And uh, yeah, like audio has just always been my, my form of communication. Yeah. So mentioning third grade and, and starting to recognize things about yourself, do you feel like you had to be more self-aware or being different made you more self-aware? I think so. I do. I think I think being different definitely made me hyper aware and conscious of just myself and the world around me. And uh, yeah, I, I clearly remember just having like weirdo thoughts of like, what's what's going on after this? What's life like after right. this? It's like, what are you thinking about in third right. grade? Like, it's yeah. crazy. Oh, I mean, thinking things you probably shouldn't have to. It, right. It's, it's, and, and, and things Dan and I didn't have to. But, well, I think I'll say that for myself. But I will say that. Well, listen, third grade. No, not even. I saw Top Gun in, when I was six. Six? I think so. That was the first sex scene I ever saw in a movie. And also the volleyball scene is still the thing that makes me know that I'm not 100% straight. <laughs> I just and, saw it like three months ago and I was like, oh, it's still pretty good. I know that's true because that's the second time you've said that on this podcast. So I, 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 I absolutely know that that's true. But so you're, you're up, you've got a lot of episodes up. I know that the first one I listened to was number 200. Is, is that still the most recent one out there? Yes, yes, I'm I'm taking a break. I'm coming back next month. Okay. But I just needed a a pause just to reflect on how much I've done. I was telling someone I feel like Forrest Gump when he ran the touchdown, <laughs> he kept running. Like I feel like I might I might have ran like I may have gotten a touchdown. So I want to go back and see what I've done and where I want to take it next. So that's kind of what I'm in the process of doing right now. All right. That, that, that's great to, to hear. And I'm excited to be able to listen uh, again. And Absolutely. I, you know what, in, in opening and closing and restarting during technical difficulties, I lost the page that I was on before, but you were just uh, participating in an event 
that had you hanging out with a bunch of people who are much cooler than me and dad. At least it looks that way in the pictures. Really um, appreciate you slumming it with us today. <laughs> so, so can, you, can you tell us just in a, in a few sentences what, what, what you've been up to with that? Yes. So Glad just held a Black Queer Creative Summit in Los Angeles. They picked 150 Black queer creatives from around the world out of like, I think, 500 people that applied. And I was selected as one of the people to go. And they were very intentional. Like they looked at what everyone is doing and um, they just gave us a lot of tools and a lot of workshops to pour into us for the next steps of our journey. We were able to network with each other. Like there were so many people that did so many things that I mean, there there will probably be productions that come out of that room just because, you know, you have somebody that does film, you have somebody that does writing, you have somebody that does music. Like there, there was just so much collective creativity and energy in one space. Like I, I still feel empowered from that experience. Nice. And uh, I'm excited to see like just what everybody creates post going to that event. Yeah, that that looked really cool, and I appreciate that. I I think you know it seems like you know such a great community, and I can't imagine the amount of of talent in that room. Um, so so congratulations to you, and uh, I think we've got to to go ahead and wrap up here. I don't think that there was ever going to be enough time for me to <laughs> to spend with you, Mike. Uh, I would love to keep this going forever, uh, but I am. Very grateful that you're here for here today. And I do realize how special this is to have people who are willing to to share with me and share with our audience. And I'm grateful that you're here today. I I I don't know you, but just watching and hearing the things you do, I'm I'm I have a sense where I'm proud of you. I, I think that it's been a wonderful uh journey that you've been on. I can't wait to hear more back in the podcast. I hope that if any more comes from from uh, your creative summit that you were, were, were just part of, I'd love to see and hear that. I would love to just keep in touch, talk to you again. Yes, yes. But this has been great. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored. I'm humbled. I'm speaking for Dan as well. We are both really excited that, that you're on today. And Mike, as usual, this has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica Fest I confess I was nervous and stressed Because I thought you were the best I was right And that night we got into a water gun fight That I won, I shot you in the face It was fate, I offered you a spring You declined, I said, keep it you might Decide to change your mind, you did
I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best I was right.